Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Gian Fat Akin. He's the founder and CEO at Scenix Corporation. Welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing selfishly is actually really quite fascinating to me because I'm actually surprised that the big companies haven't done what you're doing. But maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah. So my story is a little bit different. I'm actually an immigrant. Okay. I uh, was born in Turkey. Oh, interesting. In, in near Turkey. Uh, and then when I was about six years old, my family decided to move out here to for the American dream and okay. wanted us to grow up and uh, get a good education. So uh, we ended up coming into California. Okay. Um, my father happened to actually have uh, family already here. Okay. Interesting. Um. And that was the decision uh, why we came to California. So uh, that was my first experience to the U.S. to the USA. You know, coming to California and to Los Angeles, and um, and it was always had a special place in my heart. Uh, and then I grew up. So I went to first grade in Turkey, and then second grade on, my education has been in the U.S. Okay, you went to university. What did you take, and why? To university, I went to Penn State. Okay. Um, and, uh, I wanted to, well, a couple things kind of with that, I, I wanted to get away from Maryland at the time my family was living in Maryland. So I wanted to gotcha. actually be, able, be a little further away, be on my own. And then Penn state had a great wrestling team. I wanted to, I was very good at wrestling during high school. So I wanted to walk on and definitely try, try my luck at the wrestling team. And, uh, so I went to Penn state, went through, didn't really know what I wanted to major in, Okay. but business felt pretty natural. I've always had this, you know, personality where I look at things and try to see if I can make it better and solve these kind of intricate business problems. So business came natural. I ended up uh, with a, a bachelor in, in business and um, uh, graduated from, from Penn State and started working with a family company. Okay. My father um, built a company with his, you know, bare hands. It was a consulting and construction company that did a lot of project development and management overseas. Gotcha. He was using his background in Turkey and his network in Turkey um, to get some big government contracts and try to bring in uh, foreign companies for those. So I'd, I would support the family business and try to you know, help as much as I could. So I grew, grew up kind of shadowing my father. And then once I actually graduated uh, with the bathroom business, I, you know, the obvious decision was you know, work with the business, with the family business. Okay, is that why you took so, business then, or just because of dad's background, or or why did you go into business? Well, actually, funny thing, I did not pick business first. I went okay. from economics to uh, criminology, criminal justice to communications, then to finally business. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, well, what made you go through all that uh, transition? 
honestly, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I got into college. Okay, I, sure. I know I knew that I wanted to be in college. I guess everybody was that was the that was the thing to do, right? Sure. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if my family when I was growing up said I should be a doctor. I didn't really feel like being a doctor. Sure. I, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I, um, I, I, yeah. So, so I just, I was in there and I didn't know what I wanted until, until like business was, and then being, being with my father, I guess, or obviously business felt natural, but I wanted to kind of in a way also get out of maybe the family loop, the, the, sure. the, the same thing that I've been around my whole life, but it seemed like it was always pulling me back and pulling me back. And so I ended up, uh, majoring in business. Okay. So you get out of university, walk us through your career up until kind of what you're doing now. So, I mean, obviously, uh, so I get out of university working with the family business and then always being an entrepreneur, starting my own businesses on the side, um, trying to import wine from Turkey, trying oh, to import cheese. Well, so why, why did you try to import those things? Well, because I saw uh, – I was connected between my travels between Turkey and the U.S. for okay. the family business. I was connecting with really interesting people that had um, opportunities, and I wanted to see if I could capitalize on these opportunities. Uh, having no experience in really uh, in entrepreneurship, it just kept calling me, and I, and I said, you know, why don't I put these opportunities to use and see if I can actually do something with them. And so I met, let's say um, – uh, a gentleman that owned a, a vineyard and was making his own wine out of organic grapes. Okay. And I thought it would be a cr great thing to try to bring to the U.S. Uh, one, it would help, obviously, my country. You know? Sure. And two, it would be great because uh, maybe people here would appreciate some you know, organic Turkish wine. It's not very common. Interesting. Sure. No, it makes sense. So I did that, and I, uh, throughout those startups and small businesses, um, I didn't very su succeed, you know, most of them. I, I failed. Okay. And uh, I failed multiple times. I failed with um, the wine business, the cheese business. I failed with um, a mobile car wash that I just started. Okay. But what um, made you I fail? A... Like you didn't get enough clients or, or what happened there? Well, no, the company just didn't didn't succeed. It didn't grow. And a lot of times it was because I didn't have the um, – the funds to be able to market it correctly gotcha. or the experience to be able to grow the business. So a lot of these businesses that I started on the side was a great experience for me. And they, they were in the business world failures, but in my mind, they were all great lessons to uh, just sharpen me and sure. prepare me for, um, you know, future. No, I think that's really good advice because I think so many people think as a failure is such a negative thing, but at least in my experience, the things I've learned the most from are either working at companies where you learn what not to do is almost more valuable than learning what to do, right? At least in my experience, have you? And it sounds like you found that as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think I found that out the hard way, but yeah. Sure, yeah. Then <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with that, and even today, and anything and everything I do, um, especially being a CEO and in a tech company and, and trying to revolutionize this really big and, and calcified industry. <sighs> I can't say that I, I don't make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. Sure. And I, think I learn from them does, and I try right? to, yeah, absolutely. So how did you come up with Scenix and what exactly is it? Oh, that's a great question. So back in 2012, 
friends and family were sitting around watching TV and uh, going through Netflix. I remember sitting there and just scrolling through the titles upon titles upon titles that Netflix offered. And in 2012, if you, if you can remember, yep. the, the Netflix was great, but they didn't have all this awesome original that they do now. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that they had was catalog content, which yep. was things that we've already all seen either on television or, you know, in the movies way back when. Sure. And it was just really convenient, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the latest and greatest. Even HBO had better content. Sure. If you if you were to compare them to. So we were sitting there playing with Netflix and we said, why the heck are we doing this? You know, there's really nothing here. It was hard to find something good to watch. So then we went on to Fandango and Fandango, you know, we were like, okay, let's go to the movies. And I believe it was like 10, 15, 10, 30 PM. Okay. And the movies didn't really have anything good to offer at that time. Sure. So I said to myself, this is the 2012. I've got this, you know, nice television system. The internet is strong. Um, why aren't we able to watch these movies that are coming out in theaters in the comfort of our homes? Sure. hundred percent agree. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it seemed pretty obvious to me. And, but immediately my mind, my business mind took over and said, obviously, um, nobody knows how many people are in the room. Okay. So sure. they can't, they can't charge the tickets. And the reason why movies right now are coming out in theaters first this whole theatrical window, it exists because they'd like to capitalize on per head tickets. They'd like to make sure. as much money as possible. And then that, that window also dictates the value of content going downstream. Sure. Makes sense. And what I mean by that is when these guys are dealing with, um, you know, your Netflixes, your HBOs, they're making deals based on how well the movie did in their, in its theatrical window. Right. So, all this, just thinking about all this, I said to myself, just being me, and I said, how can we fix it? How could this be fixed and create value in a way where we can actually sit home and be able to watch this movie the day it comes out in theaters in a way that everybody wins? Sure. So I got to thinking, did some uh, maybe two weeks of research and just drawing things up, and I decided to just pursue it. I, w- I called a patent attorney. I said, hey, can we do a patent search? I want to see if something like this exists that, you know, I explained my idea. Right. We did the patent search, came out pretty, pretty, like there was some prior art, obviously, uh, but, but what we wanted to do wasn't um, affected by it. So we went ahead and filed for patent. Interesting. Yeah. And then at the time I was actually also studying to be a real estate agent. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had friends in real estate and I said, you know why? why not just take the classes, get my real estate license just in case. Right. Sure. And the market was on the come up. So I said, all right. And I was taking my uh, real estate license classes. Uh, and I met uh, a gentleman named Dayun who became my first CTO. Okay. How did you guys meet? And, just out uh, of curiosity. We met in class. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> what, what I had done is I had made these little little pamphlets that I would give to all the students and people I met in class and kind of do some market research, get their feedback on this idea that I had, right? Okay, sure. 
So then I just passed them out, and everybody loved it, but then Daniel was the only one that challenged me and said, well, how are you going to do this, and how are you going to do that, and how are you going <laughs> to you know, secure it? And, and, I was, and the funny thing is I never had an answer, so I was like, ah, oh, good question. I'll go back to you on that. And I'd go home and do the homework and come back the next day or like the next class session and say, hey, I got an answer for you. And I, I would respond, you know, I'd give him the answer. Interesting. And so we went back and forth, back and forth. We became friends. And we ended up getting our real estate license. And we looked at each other and we're like, so are you going to sell houses? And he's like, nope. Are you going to sell houses? I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do CNEX. <laughs> so we started putting together the pieces and I started cold calling studios. Okay. So, so while Dayun is like coding away, and I'm like ordering parts from Alibaba and other websites to put this sensor <laughs> together. Wow! In 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 my parents' basement. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm also cold calling studios every day on a daily basis. Okay, how like how did that time. go? Oh, it went nowhere. I mean, <laughs> who, who the hell am I, right? So, so sure. so so these guys are. I'm I'm always calling, you know, and I'm getting the the gatekeepers, and and they're just like doing their job of, of totally vetting me out, and um, I'm but I'm being persistent, sure, because I believe I believe I I wholeheartedly believe we have the best solution, like we we've got something here, sure. So I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm like, all right, so calling isn't working, but I'm going to continue calling, and at the same time I'm going to email them, and at the same time I'm going to send something in the postmail. Okay. So old school. So, so we did like little pamphlets, little document, like in really nice envelopes, and I sent them all to the like the CEOs of the studios sure. and to the uh, to the people that would be in charge of the department that I need to talk to. Interesting. And I continue calling, and I some of those mails come back, some of them didn't come back. I'm like, okay, cool. So here we go. You know, we're making some progress. Okay. And all of a sudden, I get a call from Peter Levinson. How long did Universal. it take? Roughly. Oh, it took uh, at least at least four or five months of just okay. Pursuing. Okay, keep going. Yeah, Sorry, so you get a like, call. I, 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 I'm already like a couple hundred calls into <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, so um, I finally get a call back. It's like nighttime, 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. in East Coast in Maryland. I get my okay. phone rings. And it's a California, it's a Los Angeles number. And I'm like, oh, cool, okay. I don't know anybody from LA. <laughs> and so I pick up the phone, and it's like, hey, this is Peter Levinson from Universal. And I'm like, oh, oh crap, okay. <laughs> so I was like, uh, hi, Peter, how you doing? You know, I was like, I just introduced myself, and he's like, are you the? Are you? He pretty much said it in a really like politically nice way. Sure. But his, he pretty much said like are you the crazy fool that keeps like bugging the hell out of everybody? Like, <laughs> like what the hell do you want really is what he was trying to say. And so I said, Hey, you know, I've got this really cool idea and um, I really want to show it to you guys. And I think it can make a huge difference in the game. Sure. And he was like, and he said, just come show it to me. And the way he said it was like, just come and show it to me. So you stop calling, right? Pretty much. All right. Yeah. Like leave me um, alone. I want to just see what you're about. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, like I'll, I'll see you just to shut you up, kind of. Thing. <laughs> uh, but but that's all I needed. Like I got my foot in the door, right? So sure. I started calling the other studios, and oh, I was already calling everyone. But I mean, I just called and said, "Hey, look, we're coming in to meet with Universal. We'd love to show you guys what we have too." And then sure. everyone, everybody said appointment. Like we we had everyone reach back and give us an appointment for that. Interesting. One. And you hadn't even taken the first interview with with Universal, right? 
No, no, I That's because amazing. I said to myself, I was like, if I'm flying out there and spending this money, sure, I'm not going to just fly there for Universal. I'm going to get everyone to meet me that week. So Interesting. the whole week, I'm meeting someone, and I'm going to take advantage of this time. Sure. So I used that. I used that as a stepping stone. I said, hey, you, we're coming to see Universal, and I'm sure you guys don't want to miss out on this. So why don't we meet up, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So created some FOMO, and got everybody to to book a meeting with. And these are high-level people. Yeah, yeah, so. fair enough. So, so how did those <laughs> and, uh, meetings go? So it's funny. We walk in, and it's just me. You know, at the time, what am I? I'm 36 now. Okay. So five years ago, like 20, 29, 30 years old. Sure. And, uh, and Dayun. And Dayun barely speaks English. Like, he has a heavy, heavy Chinese accent. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's just us two. We got this. So we go in, and we set up this little demo that's like... If you saw it, you'd be scared because it looks so bad. Okay. The sen- the the sensor just looks. It was it was it looked like it came out of a basement. That's exactly what it looked like. So, but but it worked, and okay. we set it up, and we showed it to everybody, and we and I told everybody the vision and what we wanted to do, and I saw people's eyes light up and and smiles like from ear to ear, and and it was really welcomed, but. Obviously, there was there was no product. It was just an idea, right? Sure. So, <clears throat> the studios were like, "Okay, interesting. Um, this is the first time something like this came to the door." Uh, and although this is like something that we can't commit to, and and it's far from being real, it's a pretty clever idea, kid. Like, good job, kids. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like a pat on the back, and interest interesting we got a lot of interest but there was no commitment there's nothing right okay so we went back to the drawing board and we said well that's all i needed really is as an a entrepreneur seeing everyone's eyes light up and seeing everybody interested in and like believing in the vision even if it was for like a split second is all i needed sure so i jumped in you know full on and we we were developing the product and we got bottlenecked because now we're like in over our heads Okay. We don't have the resources to do this, you know? Sure. So trying to figure out what to do. Next thing I know, there's a gentleman in my mom and dad's kitchen asking for a glass of water. Okay. My first time meeting him. Turns out he's a, uh, he's a Johns Hopkins science major. His okay. name is Ahmed, Ahmed Shinar. Okay. Uh, he's into politics, and he's just visiting my dad to talk about politics in Turkey. Interesting. Okay. that my... Yeah, it's very interesting. And so he's, I had just graduated from the basement to the garage and then leaked into the kitchen. Okay. So we've got stuff everywhere. It's pretty awesome. Sure. It's just like this literally is like a, is like a little movie that we're living. And uh, <laughs> here comes Ahmed. He's like, hey, can I get a glass of water? I'm like, yeah, sure. Give him a glass of water. He's drinking it, looks around. He's like, what the hell is all this? And I go, boom. You know, give him a little elevator pitch. Sure. And and immediately he's interested. He's like, "Wow, you know, hey, you guys, you guys need an investment." And I'm like, "Hell yeah, we need an investment. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's exactly what we need." <laughs> that's amazing. And, and he goes, "Yeah." And he goes, "How much do you think um, you're valued?" And I just, we just, you know, sat there really quick with it between him drinking the the last sip of his water and me trying to figure out what the valuation of the company is. We came up with a number and shook hands. Okay. So, so, the, so the next two weeks later, his parents were 
in town to visit him as well. Okay. So then I did a little demo to them. And then a week later, I had a check for about a million dollars. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And the funny thing is we still don't have a contract in place. It's just all on a handshake. So we start spending this million dollars and Ahmed becomes not only our first investor, but he also becomes our uh, chief uh, strategy officer. Sure. And he's covering all his own expenses and he's just also working full time with us. And at the same time, he's the, the only investor. So we're spending this money and we're just, you know, we're just plugging and chugging away. We're, we've got a nice little office at the um, Montgomery County Innovation Center, which is like really, really cheap and affordable. And they were really great in helping us. So now we've got an office, we've got people working, heads down, we're putting the beta product together. And then about a year goes by and we go back to the studios. Okay. And we're like, we're like, so now the product is a, a little nicer. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a prototype. It's no longer a, you know, proof of concept. It's sure. the next step up. So it's still scary looking. It looks like now it looks like short circuit, but <laughs> and I don't know if, if you guys remember the movie short circuit. Yeah. Yeah. It literally yeah, I totally looks just do. like that. Yep. <laughs> but it's, it's not the finished, but it works better. It now like rotates and looks left and looks right and pans and, uh, it, it it has like night vision in it. It has a thermal camera in it. it it's 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 now like bulletproof. <laughs> Interesting. And so we walk back into the studios and and we show them our progress. And they're like, "Oh, this is really cool. You know, this is really interesting. You guys have done a lot in a year." Um, but yeah, we still can't commit anything. You know. Okay. It, just, it looks good, and, and so we're getting more and more support. And then we went out and met up with. Uh, we went to we went to what was it called CinemaCon and met with some exhibitors because we knew that the biggest pushback was going to be from the exhibitors, the movie studio, the movie theaters. Okay. And so we're meeting with these guys, trying to show them, hey, like our model, our product, like it cuts you guys in. It's 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 going to be the future. Um, it expands your market. And the funny thing is, the international exhibitors are all interested. They're like excited. They they like it. They're like shaking their heads. Yes, this makes sense. But all the U.S. exhibitors are avoiding us. Like nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me at all. And so I, I feel the hate, and it's very real. But I'm okay. like, you know what? I'm going to keep my cool because at the end of the day, when when they finally wake up to this, they're going to be happy that we're making them so much more money. You know? Sure. So, you know, right now they're hesitant, but once they see the the proof is in the pudding, once they see the finished product, they're going to all be happy. So we just keep pushing forward, and then. Um, Around that time, Sean Parker and his guys come out with this uh, uh, their their little product thing, so okay. which, which is pretty cool. Because then finally we're like, yes, we're not the only idiots in the room like trying to do this. <laughs> like, there's somebody else. <laughs> sure. And it's a bonafide like tech dude. Like he's got, you know, this is a, this is like a somebody in the industry that's trying to do this too. So yes, that validates our idea. Like we're on the right path. So that gives us even more motivation. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Like it's all been a, such an amazing journey. So then we start developing and then we start networking. Um, and then about 2016 comes around and we relocate to SF. Okay. Why did you move? So then, well, we moved because I was tired of flying over here all the time. It was uh, such okay. an, it, we would, because out of based out of the East coast and in the entertainment worlds out here and the tech sure. worlds out here. Sure. So I was always going back and forth and it was just unnecessary. So I said, Hey, you know, we're young. Let's move out. 
And so we packed everything, moved out to San Francisco. Okay. Um, you know, and, and the idea was build the, build the core team here um, and just be able to rub shoulders with the tech companies and the VCs as well as um, BS, you know, a, a really qu- close trip to uh, L.A. when we need sure. to go. So sure, then we moved what's out the here. Flight, like an hour to L.A.? Yeah, it's, it's about an hour. Yeah, okay. No, interesting. It's so, not, it's not bad. So walk me through from moving out to Bay Area till present day. Where are you guys at now? So a lot of, a lot of cool experiences happen between now and then. So, like, we came out here with this big dream of, like, oh, it's Silicon Valley. Sure. And we've got all these, we've got all our ducks aligned and, and, you know, it's going to be pretty straightforward to find talent. And it's going to be pretty straightforward to find funding. Right. Yep. And reality on the ground is much different for anybody that thinks like you can just come to Silicon Valley with your ducks aligned with a couple patents and, uh, and expect to just boom, get funded. It's, it's not that easy period. Okay. Um, because the, the reality on the ground was this, even though we were looking for, like senior season talent to join us. Okay. Because we don't have the resources to hire junior level people and train them. You know, right. we need people that already know what they're doing. Right. So all the, all the talent that we need is already working a hundred hours a week. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. And they've, and, and they've got really well paying jobs. Like they are doing really well, you know, sure. and um, for us to just be like, Hey, quit your job and join us for incentive stock options. It doesn't really sit well with them. Interesting. You know? Sure. And so then finding talent becomes very tricky because, you know, you need, you need a handful of talent. You don't, you don't need just one person. So it becomes very challenging. And then the VCs are always a challenge in itself to be able to navigate them. You know, nobody really knows. There's no real cookie cutter way sure. that you can just follow, follow the, follow the, uh, uh, a template and just get funded. Every VC is different. Some some want a deck. Some don't even think a deck's necessary. You get all types of feedback from everyone, and it's just so confusing. Sure. So you're like, okay, you know, you're like, all right. Um, so it's been a challenge. But what's what's happened is we've met with some awesome people, networked with some great people. Okay. We've aligned with a, with a manufacturer. We've aligned with a design team. Aligned with a great law firm. Aligned with. Um, great like vendors and and service partners so getting all the ducks aligned and move, making progress has been great and then we changed the product the product became it went from a hundred and sixty dollar uh console to a thirty dollar retail sensor oh interesting how did you go from that like such a higher price point to to basically an impulse purchase price point so interesting we we built this bulletproof super secure system okay and then what happened is technology developed and made watermarking and certain certain securities for streaming content much much better than what they were back in 2012 and 13 so then the studios were like hey you know that's great and all but this security level is enough for us like we'll 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 be happy with this so what you guys are doing is overboard so we were able to then um, shift and instead of having this console, we said, "Hey, let's be app-based, so then we can get a huge footprint when we launch." Because any device that can support an app, like a Roku or an Apple TV or a smart TV or PlayStation, Xbox, all these devices, right, we'll be able to immediately get onto them with our app, and then the sensor could just be a very small, you know, independent sensor that would just sit on top of the TV, 
super small okay. uh, and be able to do what it does. So, so that way the idea was like, hey, now it's a, a, a really good price point where everyone can, you know, I- enjoy this service. Okay. No, that makes total sense. So how does it exactly kind of work? Because if I activate the movie with just myself in the room and then my wife walks in just as the intro is, is starting, does it record her as well? Or, or walk me through how the technology works. Sure. So the technology is very simple. You would just download the app onto your existing OTT device, okay. the venue player app, and you would create your profile for, for venue on our either web portal or the mobile app that you would download okay. onto your mobile device. Once you created your profile, you would just be able to log in and then um, once the sensor, the sensor piece you would purchase either through us or any other, you know, department store or, or big box retailer or Amazon at the point at the time, whoever's carrying it, right? Okay. And it's a very small cost, like around $30 for your one-time purchase of the sensor. You would just mount that on top of the TV and just power it up. Okay. And it's Wi-Fi. If you don't have Wi-Fi, there is a, a Ethernet cable, you know, uh, a plug. Got you. And, but you know, Wi-Fi. So then what you would do is once you actually log into the app to create your profile, once you create the profile and everything, it'll actually give you a QR code that is all the credentials that the sensor needs to log into your own network. So then you would just show that QR code to the camera okay. and it would, or to the sensor, right? And it would just connect to that same network that the player app's on, that your OTT device is on, you know, the okay. home network. Yeah, makes so sense. So then it's the rest, yeah, the rest is very simple. You would just pick a movie from the from the platform and then it would just tell you how much the ticket price is per person. You would buy as many tickets as there are going to be viewers. Either everyone can buy their own tickets or one person can buy all the tickets. Got you. And then you would just hit play and it would play. So as soon as the movie starts, that's when the sensor starts to do its thing. What it does is simply checks for number of people and it doesn't send the picture of the room to anywhere. It does all the analysis on board. All it does is send the server, the session ID and the number of people detected. So if it's five, it's just going to send a number five and then the session ID. Okay. And therefore, so at that point, go ahead, your picture, like the picture of your living room is not being sent over the internet for it to be analyzed on the cloud. It's all being done on board. So then you're, you're, and then immediately once it's analyzed, it's deleted from memory. So there's no way in really getting that, getting access to that image. Okay. Interesting. Well, think of like Snapchat type of, type of, I would compare it to like Snapchat. No, that, that makes sense because I, I think the thing that's been kind of aggravating to me over the years is you want to see the latest movie but you don't want to wait hours in line. And I know there's VIP theaters where you can buy tickets and stuff, but sometimes like mm-hmm. you either are too late or whatnot. Why can't I watch a movie that comes out tonight? It's Friday night. Like, why can't I watch the latest movie that comes out tonight from the comfort of my home if I'm willing to pay for it? Right. Because I, I've yeah. done it where I've, you know, torrented a movie the night that it comes out so I can watch it at home, so I can see it, and then I end up going to the theater to see it again, and then I end up buying it on Blu-ray, right? So 
I, I just, I never understood why I have to always go to the theater, at least night one or the first few opening weekend, right? Where you guys are basically solving that problem, right? Absolutely. Yep. And, and the other problems that go along with it. So like you, like you said, a lot of people um, don't live, you know, right down the street from a movie theater. A lot of people need to actually commute to one, like drive to one or you know, 16 million people in a given day in America have, you know, 16 million households have children. Um, so they need a babysitter. They have a toddler in the house, right? So they need like some type of babysitter. So it's, it's great. The experience of movie, going to the movie theater is great. Like no one's trying to replace that. But those people that can't make it out, um, either to a movie theater or to a live event, they shouldn't be deprived of the experience or the entertainment because they're too busy or they're handicapped or they have a baby or they live too far. Like these are, these are problems that were problems back in the day. Like with the technology of today, those shouldn't still be a problem. These shouldn't be issues that consumers have to face. You know, the only consumer's choice, the only, the only problem the consumer should face is what do I want to watch tonight? And the ability to just pick it and choose it. So that's our mindset. We don't want to, we're not creating venue to compete with the movie theaters. We're creating it to be complementary to the movie theaters and to the industry. And the way we do that is simply by um, making sure that everybody gets a piece of the transaction. And our model solves that problem. So, so what happens is with our model, we allow the, we're just a, an ecosystem, we're a portal, a conduit. We don't micromanage the content like Netflix does or like anybody else does, right? We're creating it, think of YouTube, right? But designed specifically for the professional uh, content creation industry. What happens is we create this awesome ecosystem, this platform with an amazing user experience and user, user facing front end, right? But in the back end, we give it to the content owner. So let's say it's, uh, you know, Warner Brothers or Fox or any of these big studios or, or independent studios or foreign studios. They have access. They, we, they obviously we initiate with them and we, we get them set up into the system. And all they then do is they would log into the platform. They would set the ticket price. They can regionalize ticket prices. They can set ticket prices. So they have full control. And then they would, they would set the date that they want the, the content to be available on the system. They could set the, the start date, the end date. Everything is customizable. Um, they would, the system pulls all the uh, metadata and, and posters and everything from the internet through IMDB and everything else. So it's, it's all the stuff that they've already approved anyway. So then they would, just, they would just set the system and it would be in their control and then the content would be available. The tickets would sell and then um, everybody would get a cut. Now, what happens is since the content owner has full control and they have this dashboard, we're also building this awesome intuitive mapping system that'll show the content owner the, the nearest movie theater to my house. That I, so if I watch this on venue, then they'll know that, for example, Cinemark right down the street is the movie theater that I'd be, I'd be tied to. So then the studio would then be able to cut in the exhibitor per transaction, but however, how much they cut them in is between them. We don't get involved in that. See, I see the industry shifting right now, and it's a very big industry, it's very calcified, so it can't shift too quickly, obviously. 
And it's shifting though. And I feel like they're going to be, uh, if not destroying the window, at least shortening the window to start with. I feel like the, uh, the theatrical experience is becoming a lot more than just the movie experience. And they're adding all types of vibrating seats, reclining seats, like dining inside the theater. They're doing a lot of these, these awesome things to kind of up that experience, which, which I think needs to happen. Because, because going to the movie theater is like an event, whereas if I can't make it out, I should then be also able to be at home. And if I'm able to or willing to pay the premium, have access to that content from the comfort of my home. Now, I think what's stopping a lot of what, what has stopped this from happening is the fact that the industry and the model that's being the delicate fabric, that model that's being used in the background, isn't that easy to just up and change and fit into kind of a, a streaming model just because the entire industry is based on this per person ticket box office opening weekend dictates the value of content going downstream. It can't just up and switch that. So that's why we've created this product to seamlessly fit into that model. Whereas other products that are offering like a premium VOD window where they're saying like you can pay $50 and watch it, but, you can have up to 10, 15, whoever many people in the room is another option that people have been talking about to do this. And what we've said is, yeah, of course you can do that. You can make, that's pay-per-view pretty much. Like you can make it a hundred dollars, you know, but, but what's to stop you from one, like maximizing on revenue? Like what if there's 10, 15 people in the room? What if there's one person, he's not going to pay a hundred bucks. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, how do we create this system where it benefits everyone, gives the consumer the best experience possible, but then doesn't cannibalize anybody, any of the players in the industry. So that's been our focus from day one, not to cannibalize anyone, but to be an additive service, an additive product, because we believe the consumer, if they're willing to pay a premium, deserves to have access to the goods, the service, whatever it is they want, right? So how do you guys monetize the platform then? Yeah, we're a cost plus model. We, we take a very small percentage of um, the, the ticket revenue. And then we also obviously have the analytics. We have the ad space, whether it's um, before the movie starts, the trailers, you know, the, the advertising before and after the trailers, or just the subliminal ads that, that are either on your mobile device when you're browsing the platform or on the OTT. So there's other ways for us to monetize this. And... Um, that's why the sensor we're selling pretty much at cost. We don't feel like uh, making money on the sensor is not worth it for us. We want to sell as many sensors and get it in as many homes as possible. So we're looking at monetizing um, uh, the data and, uh, and it's going to be really good data because think about it, like Nielsen has made a business out of this data and they're getting, and they're, and they're getting a, a guesstimated average. It's not very exact. It's not very accurate. But with us, we know exactly how many eyeballs are in the room when that, when that movie's playing. So we can turn around and tell, we can turn, turn around and tell, you know, Disney, hey, exactly, you know, eight people watched this movie tonight in that one, in that one IP address or in that one, you know, house. So it becomes, it becomes very granular data. And we've done it in a way where it doesn't impede on the privacy of the consumer in any way. Because our, sen our sensor doesn't detect like 
John, Jacob, Sally, and, and, and Chris. It doesn't detect people like that. Okay, so I don't really need to worry about my privacy then because you're not really, you don't really care who I am then, correct? Exactly, because when you buy your ticket, you're already telling us who you are. We don't have to de detect your face and know who you are by the sensor. So we've made the sensor super uh, dumbed down in that sense. We're, we, we didn't want it to be uh, like spooky and, and, and really you know, damaging your privacy. We want it to be just there to count warm bodies. Like there's five people watching, there should be five tickets. It's simple as that. And like one person, if there's five tickets, and five people, and one person leaves and someone else comes in, we don't care either, because it's the same thing as a movie theater. If I walked out and gave you my ticket and you walked in, the movie theater doesn't care. So what are your plans for the future? Do you have any ideas in TV or, or any other uh, mediums? Um, so uh, nothing about TV, maybe in the future. We have some crazy ideas for that, but definitely pay-per-view. So we are calling ourselves the pioneers of pay-per-viewer. And with that, not only just movies, but concerts, musicals, Vegas shows, you know, operas, symphonies, fashion shows, you name it, live events, anything that you'd have to physically get a ticket for and go to a physical brick and mortar venue will be available on venue for you to enjoy from wherever you're at, pretty much with internet access. Yeah, that's interesting, because then I could potentially attend any event worldwide through your platform that's live. And so it'll be priced accordingly too, because going to the live venue and sitting in aisle, you know, eight, row 12, whatever, is a whole different experience than sitting on your couch and watching it digitally, or, or you missed it and it was recorded for you and you're watching a re pre-recorded live event, you know? So it's gonna be, so the ticket prices are gonna be priced accordingly to the experience. You're not gonna pay, you know, uh, $90 for a ticket to watch it on venue. Most likely it's gonna be between the range of you know, 10 to 15, maybe some super famous artist, maybe 20, 25, but you're getting that premium experience um, live right there in your living room. And if you do pause it, it'll, it'll still be recording like, you know, on the cloud for you. So you don't miss a moment when you come back. The artist, the producer of those live events, um, whoever is in charge of, of that business, they would be incentivized to use our platform to expand their audience sell even more tickets. Um, so I like, I love giving the Beyonce example. If Beyonce has a, a concert today at the Oracle Center, what will happen is, is the system will black out Oak, Oakland and San Francisco until all the physical tickets to Oracle Center are sold out. And then the system would allow anybody else, you know, um, since the venue, you know, the physical venue is sold out. Now the system will allow everyone to buy tickets to the show that are in Oakland and SF. But the whole time, everybody else in the country would be able to buy tickets. So then all of a sudden, Beyonce has a live concert, Oracle Center sold out, but then she's sold maybe another 12 million tickets. So then it trickles down. She makes more money. She cuts the Oracle Center in if she wants. They make more money. You know, everybody in, in, involved in that business transaction makes more money. And what's also great is at the end of the concert, if she wants, she can put her memorabilia, her shirts, her hats, her next album right there on venue for, for the consumers that are on, on the platform watching to be able to just click and purchase. And then maybe at that point, Amazon fulfills the order. So it's, it's going to be a very, very fluid ecosystem. It's going to be all about bringing you the best in entertainment and everything that has to do with that entertainment.
So where are you guys at now and when can I actually get the final product? So yeah, um, great question. So what we're doing now is we're finishing the final product. We want to be able to launch. We have plans to launch um, in limited markets in the U.S. by the end of 2019. Uh, I would encourage everyone that's interested to go onto our website and, and at least join because membership is free. And the first, the first 250,000 members will get a discount on the sensor when, when we start taking pre-orders. So definitely take advantage of that. And right now, joining is just simply providing your first, last name, your email address, and that's it. So um, definitely no information that, and you're not going to be getting any spam mails from us or anything like that. So definitely rest assured that we're not going to be advertising and trying to sell you something. Um, and then at the end of this year, we're going to be launching limited markets in the U.S. just to show all the um, content providers and and all the potential movie theaters and and everyone involved that look, this model is going to work. It's going to create additive revenue. It's, it's going to, it's, it's able to, to do all the things that we promised, right? So, so be, be, you know, be ready for that, everybody. And then on top of that, we're looking to work with every single studio in the world. Like, so it doesn't matter. We want to level the playing field. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Disney, or you're some small studio um, in India or Europe or or Asia. We want to work with you. We want to be able to um, carry your content and provide it to the dispersed melting pot of people in the U.S., you know, uh, Latin America, anywhere in the world. So what happens is these smaller studios, as long as they're professional content creators, we want to work with them. I guess it's another way that you could eventually let people watch content and pay for content for events and movies in other parts of the world that you'd never be able to see, but you'd like to attend day of, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. So that's exactly why we're, we're, we're doing this. And also, we believe that consumers, there's a really powerful thing called nostalgia that you can tap into. Like for me, I'm from, I'm from Turkey, and, and when new movies come out in my country, that, you know, local domestic movies, I don't ever see I I never have access to them. And same thing with, you know, Indians and and Europeans and Asians that live in this country and Africans and any, anywhere, right? We're a melting pot. And this is not just the U.S. anymore. The whole world's a melting pot at this point. So there's a, a, a very powerful thing when you can say, hey, watch the brand new movie that just came out in Chile or in Mexico or in Turkey right there in the comfort of your home from thousands of miles away and be able to tap back into your roots and your culture and, and nostalgia. I think that's also very powerful. And not only just movies, but concerts, you know, local artists that want to perform a big concert, you know. So, so we really want to expand that connection. Um, and I believe that's in a, in a very important core part of our business as well. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So everybody can go to um, www.xcinex.com. Um, that's our website. You can go to there and become a member right through the website. Just click on join and, uh, follow these steps. Also, um, all our links to our social media accounts are there. You guys can follow us on social media to stay, you know, up to date on all our progress. Um, if you guys have questions, comments, you know, feel free to shoot it out to info at cnex.com. Um, and we're, we're, we're really quick on getting back to customer or, you know, our members or potential consumers about, you know, anything, any kind of question that they want to ask about the system or the model or, you know, pretty much we're open to answering those questions. And uh, we're very excited. Yeah, we're 
looking forward to 2019 being a big year for us. And uh, this has been an amazing journey. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting couple of years. The next, next couple of years is going to be super exciting for us. Well, man, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. You too. Thanks a lot, Kevin. I really appreciated it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.